Welcome everyone to Resurrection Life Church in Cadillac, Michigan. Thank you for joining us today. We're so glad to have you with us, and we pray that you encounter God's goodness through the message today. God's got some good stuff planned today. He's, uh, he's doing some great things in this church, this church body, and just as a whole. So really excited for that. Hope Pastor Dan and Emily are getting lots of rest. We're praying for you. Uh, know that you're getting recharged, and when you come back, you're going to be bringing it. So uh, good stuff there. All right, so just a little bit about me before we get going. So uh, as May Grant mentioned, uh, we're Res Kids leaders. We do the, the children's ministry back there, Katie and I. And uh, <clears throat> a father of three kids. So today, I just want you to open up your hearts. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you what he wants to speak to you. There's a good chance I'm going to trip over some words this morning. There's a good chance that uh, might stumble a little bit, but the Holy Spirit has an amazing way of translating that into exactly what you need to hear. So just open your hearts to that. So why don't we pray about that? <clears throat> Lord, thank you for today. I just pray that everybody here, Lord, hears exactly what they need to hear, that you ordained, Lord, not me, but you. We ask that you speak to each heart and that from this, you can just bless everybody that's here, Lord. We thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Res Kids, and then we'll get into the message today, which is about childlike faith. So it all ties together. So we started leading the, or uh, serving in the ministry when we first moved out here from Arizona about seven and a half years ago. And we started in the two to three room, the little kids. Okay. I did not have a calling for kids that I thought. Um, it, I thought it took a special person to be able to do that, and I wasn't that person, so I thought. Um, sometimes the inevitable mess would happen in there, and I would have to leave the room, or else I'd probably contribute to said mess, and uh, <laughs> Katie helped me work through that. But what I realized, and what was so cool, is how God just worked through that area and through me to grow my patience, and really to show me how awesome the little kids are back there. So we, we did that for a while, and then... Uh, we started leading the ministry a little while after that. And through that, God showed us some really cool stuff of, of what to do there. So we, uh, we built the ark. Evan Stieg, if you don't know him, uh, put that together out there. Amazing craftsman. Watching him figure out all the little angles and stuff. It was really cool. I was the guy that was just standing there with a nail gun like, yeah, whatever you say. <laughs> He's amazing. So put that together. And through that time, God really started showing me that that's a battle back there. There's a huge attack against our kids right now. Uh, if you look at what's going on in the world for our youth, for our kids, Satan's working overtime, double time, all the overtime he can get trying to ruin their lives, right? Because if he starts there and ruins them there, that's a lot to get undone as you become an adult. So God started showing me that, like, hey, you want to jump in the fight? This is your fight. So, so we, we jumped in there and we've been doing it ever since. And what we want to get across back there is, you know, the kids may not remember the words. They may not remember the lessons, all of that. They may not even remember Katie and I or any of the teachers. But what we strive for is that they'll remember how they felt. We want them to feel love. We want them to feel welcome. We want them to know that Jesus is the foundation that they need in order for their life to go well. And that Jesus loves them. That's the most important part that we're going to talk about. So... If you're looking for a place to serve, come see Katie or I. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun back there. And trust me, the messes in the two to three room aren't that bad. I, I was exaggerating, but <laughs> it's a lot of fun. So we're going to jump into it. 
So today, I'm going to ask you guys to use your imagination a little bit. Again, I usually do this with kids. So if I ask you to clap three times or something like that, just go along with me. Don't leave. promise God's got a good word for you. So, But I am. I'm going to ask you to, to use your imagination. So I want to start out because we're all children of God. Okay? It says that in the Bible. We become adults in the world. We age. But God still sees us as children. And what we're going to talk about is how we should see Jesus through the eyes of children, not through the complicated things that the world has drawn us into, but from that original view, the first love that we had, right? So I want you guys to close your eyes. Just bear with me. Walk through this. It's, it's, it's going to help towards the end of the message. So everybody close your eyes. Imagine a place where when you were a child, everything was just perfect. Imagine what it smelled like. Was there food that you would eat? Was there, what was the temperature outside? Try to think of all those things when everything was just perfect. And remember that peace you felt. Hope you're all getting there. As you are, I'm going to tell you a little bit about mine. So I grew up in Colorado in a little town called Leadville, and my grandparents lived in Denver. And so on the weekends, we'd get in the car and we'd drive down to Denver. And uh, I remember as soon as you opened the car door, there were these little pine shrubs that would go up the stairs to their, their house. And as soon as I smelled that smell, I knew that we were in for a good time. I knew things were going to be awesome. And they were. There was a little basketball court in a park down the road. My grandparents were awesome, great cooks, um, just an amazing time. And when I was there as a child, all I had to do was just be there. I knew my parents had things covered. I knew that there wasn't any agenda, anything I needed to worry about other than if I got in a pickup game of basketball at the park that I you know, brought my game. But other than that, just had to be. That was it. And I'm betting every single one of you has a place like that where you could remember that feeling. So remember this feeling for a little bit later. I want you to keep that in the back of your mind. Set all of your adult problems off to the side. Okay, just for this message. There's a lot going on, I'm sure, in everybody's life, but just set that aside for a little while and just be here in that place of peace just for a little bit. So in Jesus' time, kids were not held in high regard. The life was probably pretty tough. You think about what they had to do to get their food, to cook food, no water in their houses. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of challenges. So the kids were just running around kind of a nuisance, I'm sure, I could imagine. And uh, they weren't really, they were seen as lowly until they became adults. And that's a, a problem of the world we're going to talk about here in a minute. But let's see what, what Jesus says about that. <clears throat> in Matthew 18, 2 through 4, it says, Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes humble as these, this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That's a pretty heavy verse when you think about it. Becoming lowly like a child is the ticket into heaven. What does that mean? We're going to talk about it. So just like there's laws of gravity here on earth, uh, laws of other things of nature, if I throw something off the stage here, it's going to fall and land on the floor. There's laws of the kingdom of heaven as well. And one of those main laws is humility. This is going to be the center of our message today, humility. Okay? The Lord loves to see us wear the garment of humility. It says in 1 Peter 5, 5 through 5, 7, 
All of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He goes on to say, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. He will lift you up in honor. Okay, that's not lifting yourself up in honor. That's God doing all of this, okay? Give all of your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. So you see what it said before, that to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to have humility. And then he explains why right there. So there's three things that draw us from being a child, being at the place where all we had to do was be. There's more, probably more than that, but I'm going to cover three things that God really spoke to me that draw us out of that, that cause us to be adults, even though God wants us to all be children of God, right? So the first one we're going to talk about is self-promotion. When it said proud in the verse we just read, this, this talks about it. Let's see what God says about self-promotion. In Luke 14, 11, it says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Again, be humbled. Philippians 2 through 3, 2 verse 3. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your, only your own interests, but take interest in, in others too. That's a lot different than what the world says, isn't it? The world says, you do whatever you have to do to get on top. You figure it out, right? That's not how God sees it. He wants us to humble ourselves because in his time, he will promote us. We don't have to do it. And that's what I want to make sure we all understand. And as I, as I was working through this way before uh, this message even came to be, God was showing me these things. You don't, you're not in charge of your own promotion. And if you are, it's probably going to go in a way that God doesn't intend. But if you humble yourselves to God, humble yourselves to those circumstances, God will promote you when the time's right. And it's going to be so much better than what you thought it would originally be. Paul understood that self-promotion hiding in a heart is bad news. He knew that lifting yourself above others and you doing it would cause you to get in a place of putting yourself above the name of Jesus even, because as you continue through that, you can start making yourself your own God, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Self-promotion, not a good thing. God promotion, awesome thing, right? All right, number two, self-preservation. This is the one that I really struggle with, just being completely honest. This is driven out of a place of fear of what the world can do to you. And if I had to guess, I bet most of you here have grappled with this from time to time. I would imagine that this fear, fear of lots of things, really can complicate how we see Jesus, right? See what the Bible says about this in some of the, the stories and references. So in Exodus 32.1, says, when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down from the mountain, and just for context, this is when Moses went up and God was writing the Ten Commandments on tablets. You know, there's a big cloud around this mountain. I, it had to have been so cool to see but Aaron was down with the people, and the people were getting a little anxious. So this is, this is where this takes off. So, Mo, so they were waiting for Moses to come back down from the mountain. They gathered around Aaron. They said, come on. Make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses, Moses we, who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So you can see this. Aaron's trying to keep the peace. 
Moses is up on the mountain. It's taken a while because God's working through the Ten Commandments up there on tablets. But here's where Aaron failed. He gave in to the people. He gave in to the, because he was afraid of what they were going to do to him. He was preserving himself and his image as being their leader at the time because he was in command. So he made a bad decision, right? If you know the story, he told everybody, go gather all your gold and stuff. Let's throw it in a pot. They did that and this goofy looking calf shows up and they start worshiping it. Bad decision, right? Really bad decision. So God gets angry. Moses breaks the tablets that God had written the commandments on and things got rough for a little while. All out of self-preservation. Aaron was afraid of what the people were going to do to him. So he gave in, knowing that he was disobeying God. How about Saul? In 1 Samuel 15, 19, Samuel asks, um, and for context on this one too, uh, this is when Saul, God had just given them a victory over one of their enemies. And the troops were pressuring Saul to do some things that God hadn't told him to do. So Samuel, when he finally shows up, because he was a little bit delayed, and that's why the troops, again, were getting anxious, Samuel asks, why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? So if you read through that, Saul starts making some excuses. Well, I kind of did. I kind of did what you said. You know, just some things looked nice, and why wouldn't I take, you know, some of this stuff? Because it was really cool. But it's because what he says here, finally admits, yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions in the Lord's command. For I was afraid. I was afraid of the people and what they demanded. So there it is again. Saul was afraid of what his people were going to do because he wasn't given in and he was going to do what God said to do. Disobeyed God. Things went bad for Saul too, didn't they? If you know the story, God basically stripped him of his authority as king and over time he fell out of that and it paved the path for David. So God made it work, but it was really bad for Saul. Out of fear. One more on that same topic. Let's look at Peter in the New Testament. Peter was the guy that walked on water. He saw people who had never walked in their life stand up and walk away because of what Jesus was doing. He saw thousands of people being fed off of five loaves of bread and two fish. Peter saw all this. He witnessed it. He felt it. He was literally standing on top of water. But when it came down to, when it came down to it and when Jesus was getting persecuted, he was watching from a distance. But here's what happened. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. I'm sure he's probably feeling a little uncomfortable. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. So the guy that saw all of this stuff happen that said Jesus is the Messiah, all of, all of a sudden he's denying him because the people were upset at that time, right? They were ready to go after anybody that was following Jesus. Second, after a while, someone else looked at him and he said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not. He's starting to get agitated. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he is a Galilean too. But Peter, again, starting to get upset. Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter went away weeping, realized what he'd done. He denounced the name of Jesus out of fear of what the people were going to do to him. Again, that's all based out of self-preservation, right? Am I the only one that struggles with self-preservation stuff? 
sure some, most of us have, and most of us are. <laughs> okay, so we look at those, and if we practice those and fall into that trap routinely, we get into a place of self-centeredness. Okay, and this is a bad one. So if we're constantly putting ourselves out of fear or out of promotion or whatever it is, pride, and we start lifting ourselves up, we're going to be at the center of what we're looking at. Let's see what Jesus says about that or what the Bible says about that. In Timothy 3, 1 through 3, it says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, because men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good. It's a long list of things. That all focuses around self-centeredness. Look at all the words in there. Proud, boasting, money, lovers of themselves. That's all because these people that he's talking about could be some of us right here. I've gone through it. We put ourselves at the center of everything. It's not what Jesus wants. In fact, the main principle of Satanism is worship of self. I read a book a while back uh, about a guy that went through the ranks of the Satanic Temple. He was like second in command. And when he got there and he started seeing like how real everything was, he realized he was on the wrong side of the fight. Thank God. He realized that the right side of the fight was Jesus. And so he converted to be a Christian and he learned that side of it too. But what was really interesting about that is he knew the enemy better than most of us ever will. And he shared that in this book. And as he was talking through it, everything goes back to, it's all about me in their belief. It's all about me. I'm the sinner. I'm worshiping myself, regardless of what it does to anybody else. We don't want to practice Satanism, right? Self-centeredness is one of those huge traps that we can fall in that draws us out of the humility of a child into a place of putting ourselves above God. That's why Lucifer got kicked out of heaven, right? He wanted to be above God. He wanted to be the main guy. God said, man, I just can't have that. See ya. But he still uses that as a tool against us. So don't fall into that trap. Remember, humility is the ticket, not self-promotion, not self-preservation, and not self-centeredness. Look at the Pharisees. They would, if, if you read how Jesus talked to the Pharisees, he knew, <laughs> he knew where their heart was, and it was in this place. These guys would walk around in these fancy robes, you know, leaders of the, of the religion, but they, they were practicing it. They wanted to be above everybody else. So they'd walk around in fancy robes, pray on the street corners for hours, it says. Hey, look at me, look at me. I'll pray for you. You guys can't. I'll pray for you. So you need to hold me in high esteem. That's how, they, that's how they went around practicing their day. And Jesus said, no, that's not it. That's not it. Humility. So Jesus mentions in Luke 18, 10 through, four, 10, 14, 10 through 14, I'm sorry. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other men extortioners, unjust, 
adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a day or a week. I give tithes of all I get. And I, I almost feel like he finished that message with, look at me, I'm awesome, right? I, the tax collector, however, who was standing kind of far off from there, wouldn't even lift his eyes up to God, wouldn't even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner from a place of humility and repentance. I, Jesus says, I tell you this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Does that sound like some of the other verses we read a little bit ago? It's all over the Bible, my friends. So he's trying to show that as we, as we grow out of humility, out of humbleness, into the world where self-promotion and worship of self is, seems to be predominant, that we can go down a bad path. Okay. So I'm going to call those the three S's. Meg had the three R's last week, so I just figured I'd stay in alphabetical order. So, uh, so the three S's, self-promotion, self-centeredness, self-preservation. Bad traps to fall into as we grow out of our childlike faith. We don't want that. We want to stay in childlike faith. We're all children of God. He doesn't say we grow into adults of God, does he? Has anybody ever found that in the Bible? It always says children of God, right? And there's a reason for that. Because it's, as a child, we're in that place of humility, seeing him as that new, exciting awesomeness, and we haven't got wrapped up in ourselves yet. So childlike faith is simple. I have a quick story before I go into the three things that counter all of the self stuff. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But when I first started teaching the older kids, the third through fifth graders, those kids are sharp, by the way, and they get it. There's, they're really understanding God, sometimes better than myself. But when I first started, it, it was funny. I was, I was trying to put together some, some messages and some lessons, and how do I draw this whole complex thing, this whole huge Bible, down into something that these kids can understand? And I'm going through it, and God so stopped me dead in my tracks. It's not complicated. You are. Quit being complicated. The message is easy. And this is what he showed me, what we're going to talk about. The message is easy. There is no junior Holy Spirit. There is no kid Holy Spirit. We all have the same Holy Spirit within us. And we're all children of God. So he showed me this. And it's amazing as I shared that with the kids, they get it just like we should. We complicate things a lot as adults. But the, the concept of looking at it from a child is simple. So the first one, Jesus loves us. Pretty complex, right? Go ahead and play that video. All right, so you couldn't hear it. That's okay. We weren't sure if the video was going. No, it's okay. What's the most important <laughs> thing that you need to remember? Jesus loves us. Good job. They get it. Jesus loves us. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean Jesus loves us because we've done amazing, great things, or we've handed out 40 tracks to people out in a parking lot, or because we, whatever, because we have an awesome job? No. He loves us unconditionally, not by what we do. Nothing we do changes how he loves us or how much he loves us. It takes the pressure off. 
Remember the story of Peter. I think of, of if Jesus was a, a normal person, and in today's world even, let's just think about that. So guy that says he's his best friend, said he would die for him, all this stuff. When Jesus is in his time of need at his most vulnerable time, Peter hits the road. He's gone. <laughs> so think about that, how we would feel. We would feel offense, right? We'd say, man, the one guy I trusted, there he goes. You know, get on Facebook, hashtag moving on. I don't need this negativity in my life, right? <laughs> Jesus didn't do that because he loved Peter unconditionally. He redeemed Peter. As many times as Peter denied him, he asked Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. And all Jesus said is, feed my sheep. And guess what? He redeemed Peter to a place where he started the church that we know today. I, I almost guarantee that when Peter ran away weeping after he denied Jesus, he went right back to the boat that he was in before Jesus ever knew him, went back to fishing, and he was probably thinking, man, it's just a matter of time till the wrath of God takes me out because I just really messed up. I just committed a huge sin, right? I'm sure that's what was going through his mind. But Jesus shows up, doesn't even care, doesn't ask, why'd you do that to me? Didn't make it about himself. He just said, Peter, you got good things coming, man. Do you love me? You know? That's what, that's what Jesus loves unconditionally. That's what we need to do. Okay? So, Jesus loves us. Point two, we believe in Jesus. Again, not rocket science, right? When we believe in Jesus, that means we believe that he is who he says he was. We believe that he died on the cross for the sins that we've committed. We're going to use our imaginations here in a little bit to really understand the magnitude of that. But if we believe in that, we're free. We're free from our guilt. We're free from our fear. We're free from our sins. It's hard when we go through circumstances to really understand that. People have hurt us. Right? Situations have changed the way we look at things. I get that. But Jesus died for our sins. Don't live in that guilt, fear, shame space. That's a place that Satan can really get a hold of your life. The concept is simple. If you're fighting with each other, just like the little kids, tell each other you're sorry, give them a hug, and go play. Right? <laughs> we believe in Jesus. We believe that what he said is true. Point three. Love God and love people. That's the motto of this church, right? But what does that mean? If you think about the first two things, the first two bullet points, Jesus loves us and we believe in Jesus, this one comes really easy. But it's hard to do. It's hard to practice. But if we get to that place where we're free from our guilt, we're free from our shame, we're free from the wounds of what people have done to us in our past, or what we've done to other people. That puts the pressure off of people having to deliver for us in order for us to be happy. Don't put your faith in people that you should put in Jesus. I often say, uh, and, and we see sometimes, we expect a lot out of the people around us. We expect them to be our Jesus sometimes. I've done it. I've been there. When Katie and I first got married, both of us had expectations that didn't align but it's because we put too much pressure on each other and not enough pressure on Jesus. When you take that pressure off of the people around you and you rely solely on Jesus, 
for that, the people around you and what they do doesn't matter as much. People can hurt you and you can be like Jesus. Yeah, you walked away from me. That's okay. You know, let's, let's pray about it. Let's figure this out. But that has to come from a place of the humility and of trusting that Jesus is who he says he is in order to be able to love people around you like that. Don't make people in your life Jesus. There's only one Jesus, okay? So let's go back to that peaceful image that we started with. I want everybody to go back there, wherever it was. Again, remember the smells, remember all of that. Just how you felt. Now remember those adult problems we set off to the side? What are they? I want everybody to hold out your hands like this. Name those things. Broken relationships, hurts, wounds, people treating you terrible, you treating others terrible. It starts adding up. Fear, fear of provision, shame. It gets heavy. If you're like me, you might need a shopping cart. <laughs> Hopefully not. Hopefully that's just me. Okay, everybody got that pictured? I want you to picture setting that right at the foot of the cross. And when you set it down, you stand up and Jesus gives you a hug and says, go play. I want you to actually picture that because this, this is something that God showed me a while back on how to deal with these things. Don't go back in the middle of the night when nobody's looking. Hmm, I'm gonna put some fear back on. Yeah, I'm kind of worried what's going on with my job. Fear of provision, I'm gonna wear that. Oh man, I have some guilt from some things. I'm gonna wear that, nobody's looking. All of a sudden, you get to a point, God, why is this so hard? God's probably just standing there with his arms crossed, because we're children, right? Put it down, put it back, and go play, right? <laughs> That's what he wants you to do. We were never intended to carry all of that. When you look at how God originally designed everything in his perfect state, we weren't even supposed to know a lot of stuff until we ate from the tree of knowledge. Then all of a sudden, we started complicating everything in our, in our human ways, Right? We were never intended to carry all of the guilt, shame, things that you guys are carrying. So set the stuff down. Go back to that place of peace that you guys are in, okay? Do this often. When you set that stuff down, Jesus doesn't say, I'll get to it later, or I will finish it. He looks at it, and he says, it is finished. That's what he said on the cross. He didn't say it will be finished. He said, it is finished. Which means those things can be bad. We could have gotten ourselves into a bad situation or things just happened. Health issues, all of that, I get it. But when we set that down, in Jesus' time, he will deal with that for the good of the kingdom and, and the good of you. That may not mean in the physical that things work out the way it's supposed to. But when you connect your spirit to Jesus and trust in him and love him, your spirit and your relationship with him can't be touched. So Jesus says, it's finished. Leave all that stuff there. I got you. Stay with me and we're going to be good. Stay in that place. Speaking of finished there, we're almost finished as far as you guys know. Maybe another hour or two, but just, just kidding. Okay, clap three times if you, no, just don't leave. <laughs> all right. So one more time, just in closing here, we're going to walk through what I, walk, what I do with the kids. We're going to go a little deeper here though. But I want you to understand the magnitude of what it really means of what Jesus did for us. Because again, while it's simple, it carries a huge magnitude, okay? So 
Just stay with me through all of this. Imagine you're at your house, okay? You're doing whatever you like to do. You're watching TV, cooking food, scrolling way too much through Facebook, writing some crazy posts. Now, strong knock at the door. Man, I wasn't expecting anybody. If you go up, you open the door, all of a sudden, SWAT team runs in. They tackle you down. And they put you in handcuffs and throw you in the squad car. You might be thinking, wow, this has got to be a mistake. I'm good. You know, I was just watching TV. I, I don't think I've done anything wrong. Or you might be thinking, I hope this isn't about last week. If that is you, then come up, we'll pray after church. But <laughs> So you're wondering what's going on here. They take you down to the courthouse, get you out of the car, take you in. And again, like I said in first service, I was going to point over here, but I don't want to paint Meg in a bad image over there. So we're going to say over here, there's this evil looking guy over here, <laughs> right? Just you get this really terrible feeling from him. Like, man, something's off with this guy. There's a judge sitting in the bin at the top of the bench. This judge can only rule absolute right or wrong. Only if you, the Ten Commandments are either followed or not followed. There's no in-between. There's no parole. None of that. It's absolute. You're either right or you're wrong. So this judge is sitting up there. You look at the, the guy over here. What is this all about? The judge says, all right, let's begin. This guy over here, he opens a book. I'm going to start with accusations against this person. At age four, he stole a sucker from his brother, and then told a lie. At age six, he pushed the kid down on the playground and then lied to the teacher saying he didn't do it. At age 10, he stole that candy bar from the grocery store. And you're thinking, wow, I kind of forgot about that, but yeah, that's, that's true. They go on and on and on. And if it's like me, everybody's probably sitting there like, wow, are we ever gonna finish with these accusations? Hopefully you're not like that. But it's okay if you are. So anyway, we get through all these accusations. You're sitting there like, yeah. I mean, I did break the Ten Commandments. Through, I broke the law through all of these. The judge looks at me and says, what do you have to say for yourself? Looks at all of us. What do you have to say for yourself? What are you going to say at that point? There's nothing you on your own can say that's going to get you out of this situation. I have nothing to say. The judge, with a somber look on his face, guilty as charged. And what does Paul say in Romans 6.23? The wages of sin are death. That's heavy. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord, he goes on to say. But Paul says the wages of sin are death. We've just been sentenced to death. So... They take us away, put us back in handcuffs, put us in a jail cell where we're going to wait for the next steps. This is a rough place to be in, right? I know when I go through this, I personally feel hopeless. I feel like, wow, this is terrible. But there's hope, guys. We're getting there. As you're sitting in your jail cell, thinking about all the people you're never going to see again, all of your hopes and dreams just shattered, you have no idea what the next step's going to bring. All of a sudden, this guy walks in, radiant looking guy, looks like he's been through some stuff, scars all over, comes up to your jail cell, says, man, that's a lot of accusations, right? Like, yeah. Says, Guess what? I love you. 
after everything that you were just accused of, the evil guy gloating over you, saying, I got you. Now you're hearing I love you? Wow, okay. The guy goes on to say, I love you so much that I actually paid the price for you already. I died for you. I paid the price of sin for you. I did this because I love you, not, yeah, you're guilty, you did it. It happened, but I paid the price for you. Now, because of that, I earned a key to your jail cell. But this key only works if you believe that it's gonna work. If you believe that what I'm saying is true and that I did what I did for you, if you believe that, I can let you out of this jail cell and you can go free. What are you gonna do? Here's some things that I've seen actually happen. And when you put it in this context, it sounds really silly. Nah, Jesus, I'm good. I don't know if you're real, but I've been mostly a good person. I might get out on good behavior someday, knowing that's not true. You got enough stuff going on, I really just don't even know if you're real. So I'll just hang out here, we'll figure it out. Jesus says, oh man, here's my card. Call me if you change your mind, right? Goes away, just sad. But he's always there if that person changes their mind. The next example would be the other one. Who do you think you are standing here that you can save me from all that I've done? Don't you realize that at a list of accusations, did you hear what I did? I'm a terrible person. I'm not even redeemable. You're probably just standing there waiting for me to do another wrong thing. You're just waiting for me to make another mistake, aren't you? Get out of here, Jesus. I don't need you. Jesus says, oh man, <laughs> I'd love to help you, but I can't. Here's my card. Call me if you, if you change your mind. But how about this example? Jesus, I'm so unworthy for you even being here. I can't believe that you actually did what you did for me. I'm unworthy, but I believe your words are true. I believe that you died for me so that my sins can be forgiven, not based on my good works, but because you loved me. I believe that's true, and I accept you into my life. If you let me out of here, I will love you, I will serve you, and I'll tell everybody how awesome you are. And here's what I picture in my head. Jesus comes up, opens the door. Amen, brother, go get him, right? How awesome is that feeling? How awesome is that feeling? It's that simple, my friends. Humility. We, use, we go through life humble as a chi- like a child. We treat others good. We believe in Jesus. We know that Jesus loves us unconditionally doesn't matter what we do or don't do, okay? And then we love the people around us without expectations of them being our Jesus. We just love them because they're made in the image of God. It's that simple. So what are you gonna do when you're sitting in your jail cell? I'm gonna ask a couple questions here and I want you to put your hand over your heart if it, if it applies. And by the end of this, everybody's gonna have their hand over their heart, by the way. And if you don't, we're gonna clap three times. I got ways to get you engaged, don't worry. Guarantee you're not as tough as the third, third through fifth graders. <laughs> so if you've, never, if, you, if you've never believed in Jesus, if you've never thought that he was who he says he was, but you're curious today, and you realize that when you're sitting in that jail cell, the only way out is to believe that he did what he said he's gonna do, and that you believe in him. I want you to put your hand over your heart. 
And while you're thinking about that, just an interesting fact, I didn't mention this first service, but if you're ever questioning if Jesus is real or not, there's tons of evidence, but one of my favorites and one that I share with the kids, because a lot of times that question does come up, you know, how do we know? Everything that was prophesied about Jesus's life, all the way back from Isaiah, Daniel, all the Old Testament, if everything happened by chance in Jesus's life exactly the way it did, the odds of that are one in 10 to the 21st power. So that's 21 zeros after one of the odds. So just to put that in perspective, that would be like buying three lottery tickets, walking out of here today, winning all three lottery tickets and getting hit by lightning twice. That's the same odds that Jesus just happened by chance. Statistically impossible. It's statistically impossible. So just a tidbit there. So if you're, if you're on the fence, I hope that helps. So put your hand over your heart. How about if you let the world complicate your situations? What if, you, if you've fallen into that place of self-centeredness? You're trying to promote yourself. You're worried about your life. You're worried about everything. You're carrying way too big of a burden. Put your hand over your heart. If you're carrying that, just put your hand over your heart for me. Lastly, if you just want the Holy Spirit to just completely move into your life, return you to that place of humility so that you can see God again as it was when he was your first love, that excitedness, that awe and wonder of what Jesus really is. If you want to get back to that place, put your hand over your heart. All right, let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for everything you've done for us. We come to you just praising your name. God, your name is above all names. Lord, help us get to that place of humility. Lord, we just ask that, that you flood this whole place with your Holy Spirit and you speak to each individual and just show them how awesome you are and how simple you made it. Your burden is light. For those of you who haven't made Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, repeat after me. Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to come into my life. And Jesus, I lay down my own will. And I want your will. I want you to open the, the prison door for me. I believe that what you said is true. For everyone else, let's repeat after me. Lord, I ask you to flood my life with the Holy Spirit. Take myself out of the equation and replace with you. I believe what you did is true. Help me see it from a simple point of view again, from the place of a child. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, thank you all. That's all I have today. If uh, you need any prayer for anything, prayer partners are gonna be up front here. And uh, have a great Sunday, be blessed. We're honored that you are with us today. Please connect with us because we want to get to know you. Head to our website, getreslife.org. That's G-E-T-R-E-S-L-I-F-E dot org. And like us on Facebook, Resurrection Life Church Cadillac, for upcoming events and information and ways to connect. God bless you and have a beautiful week.